We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Grinders show. I'm your host Dean. Uh, just want to welcome you guys, welcome you guys back. I'm watching a, you know, uh, we had a great NFL Week One. We talk about the NFL Week One in just a second. How how we're going to react to Week One from a card perspective. Uh, we're going to talk about what's going on in the NBA bubble. Uh, currently, we're at five teams as we're recording this. Later on today, Miami takes on my Miami Heat takes on the Boston Celtics for Game One, and of course, bring up Game Seven for Denver. Surprising Denver Nuggets taking up, pushing the Clippers to seven. Uh, so we'll be down to four as you guys are probably watching this. And uh, so we're talking about the bubble and how uh, cards have been actually pumped up a little bit of latency. There's a, been a bit of a market correction. How do we take advantage of that from a card perspective? And also, I believe we're going to be sprinkling in some soccer knowledge as well, too. Uh, leading that soccer knowledge, batting first. Uh, welcome back to the show from sportscardinvestor.com. Jeff Wilson, what's going on, Jeff? Uh, hey. We have the, uh, the start of soccer, the start of football. We're excited here. It's a good time to be a sports card investor and, and, of course, a daily fantasy sports player. No matter what you're into it for, this is a, certainly a good time to be in either mix. Yeah. Uh, tell the people about it. We always talk about it. And, you know, it's best that you talk about it because we always mention the promo we have here at Rotogrinders, 20% off your first payment. To any subscription over there at SCI, uh, use the promo code GRINDERS. Uh, what would one do with that? Why should Why should one subscribe to it? Yeah, we've got a great subscription program at sportscardinvestor.com. We've built out a, a great data platform called Market Movers, which shows you everything you need to know around the sports card market in terms of how cards are changing prices and in terms of how to get the best deals on sports cards. It brings in all of the listings from eBay and shows you what different cards are available at different price points and how far above or below market value they are. So if you're serious about getting into sports cards and either trying to flip them for some quicker profit or try to hold on to them for the long term for an investment, you're going to want a tool like Market Movers because it's going to help you uh, understand the market, find good deals, and also track your entire collection and see how the value of it changes over time. So you can find more info about that and our other memberships by going to sportscardinvestor.com. And as you said, use promo code GRINDERS for 20% off your first payment. All right. Simon and Brennan are also joining the show. Let's just dive right into it. Let's talk to Brennan first. Uh, we're going to be talking, like we said, we're going to talk NFL, talk basketball, talk a little football. Well, wait, football or soccer, depending on where you're at, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I corrected that error there for a second. I kind of was redundant there for a minute. Uh, hey, uh, buying raw cards, let's just talk about that as a general concept, Brennan. Uh, first of all, what are raw cards? What does that mean? I'm a new investor. I don't know what that means. What's a raw card? Uh, and where to buy them and what should I look for? Absolutely. Uh, so raw cards are any card that's not graded. So as you would expect, it just comes out of the pack and it's now a raw card in circulation uh, to be purchased on a number of platforms. Um, once you've sent it into PSA, BGS, uh, it now becomes graded. And, you know, at that point, it's no longer a raw card. Uh, the best, the three main places to get a raw card uh, in today's market is going to be eBay. That's the biggest 
marketplace currently. Uh, and then you've also got a place called ComC. Check out my cards. Uh, and then you've also got a, a place called Starstock. Starstock and ComC are both considered co-signers. And so they basically uh, hold the card for you. And when you buy and sell, they basically just transfer the ownership of that card within their system. They both have uh, warehouses or vaults uh, where those cards are held. And uh, unless you ask for them to be shipped to you, uh, then they will not ship the card that you purchased. They will just move it into your account and then you can set a price and, and sell it there or obviously have it shipped back to you uh, and then you can do what you need to from there. Simon, uh, Starstock, ComC, eBay, pros and cons. Do you have a preference from the top as far as uh, where you like to purchase your cards from or it just depends uh, on what you're in the market for? I've only actually bought raw cards off of eBay, but I've had enough negative experiences recently where I bought a card where I didn't see any surface issues on the images uh, of the card that I was buying. And then I received it and I noticed that there were some surface issues, but I know that star stock and, and I, I believe com C have a, a more stringent um, process when it comes to checking these cards out and making sure that uh, buyers aren't, aren't buying something that could potentially be uh, snuck through the cracks uh, as it would on eBay. A lot of people on eBay, when they're selling raw cards, you got to be careful. Uh, if, if you're noticing people ha- s- seem to sell a lot of graded cards or, or have a, a high, a high volume of selling, there's a, there might be a reason why they're trying to sell raw cards on eBay and they haven't got it graded instead. But I, you just got to be extra careful when you're on eBay and, you know, Starstock and ComC might be better options if you're if you're looking to buy raw cards from from what I've experienced. All right, Jeff, let's talk about this. First of all, give me the pros as far as shopping on eBay, and then and speak to the cons that uh, Simon's kind of referencing. And what are some potential red flags that we should like kind of like we'll take note and take, take a step back and say, well, maybe something's up here as far as uh, this price of this seller. Well, I mean, eBay, the pro to eBay is it's the world's biggest marketplace for sports cards by far, right? So, I mean, I, I, I do a lot of my buying through eBay and a lot of my selling through eBay because it's just such a large marketplace. You can find everything you want there. Um, you know, as a result of that, you can often get good prices if you're willing to hunt around a lot, make enough offers, um, or, you know, find auctions, uh, you know, that are ending at times that might be favorable to you, that type of thing. Um, you know, the difficulties with buying on eBay, obviously, uh, you know, like buying any card online, if you're trying to buy a raw card, it, it, it can sometimes be difficult to buy a raw card and know exactly what condition that's going to be in because the scans are only so good and they don't detect every, every type of surface issue. So I, I honestly try to shy away, shy away from buying raw cards online as much as possible, but, but in particular, re- eBay can be a little bit more of a wild, wild west. Some people are also, you know, eBay's had some issues recently with um, people returning cards. Uh, it's, it's honestly a lot more favorable for the buyer than for the seller. Selling cards on eBay can be kind of tricky because you subject yourself to people returning cards, uh, sometimes for no reason other than the market has gone down. But eBay has a very, very friendly buyer return policy. Even if you set no returns for your items, oftentimes eBay will force you to take a return for your items. So it's a difficult situation, right? It can be a difficult situation at times as a seller. Um, but, you know, ComC and Starstock, obviously a totally different model that the cards are bought and sold within their own warehouse. Um, and uh, it's a great model for certain things. It's a great model for flipping. You know, one of the nice things about ComC and Starstock is if you buy a card, it instantly goes into your inventory. So you could theoretically turn around and sell that card later that night or the next day. And some people will do that. They'll buy cards, and the moment a card starts to go up, they'll buy it, and then it will continue to go up for a few days, and then they'll sell it. That type of behavior would be absolutely impossible with eBay because on eBay, you got to buy something, then you got to wait for it to be shipped to you, and then you got to relist it, and then, you know, you know, so the process is just much more delayed. So I think all of these sites have their advantages in place in the marketplace. Brandon, talk about your experiences as far as eBay, Starstock, ComC, which you prefer, and I guess it's case dependent depending on what you want to do as far as uh, your, your buying experience. And is it a long-term investment? Is it something you want to flip and, you know, let's see what happens in week two. Let's see what happens in game seven. Yep. So for, for Starstock and ComC, uh, you know, Jeff put it best. They are great places to flip. And that's not only short-term flipping, but also long-term flipping. Because, uh, you know, as a father who's now running daddy daycare and, and working mm-hmm. remotely, I don't have time to package all my stuff up 
print the shipping labels, go to the post office, just, just not something I have time for. And so, you know, if I want to buy and sell cards pretty um, fluidly, then Comsi uh, and Starstock are great because I can hold them on my account until I feel like it's the right time to sell. I can list it for a price and, and Comsi and Starstock will handle all of, all of the hassle for me in terms of, uh, you know, shipping and all that kind of stuff, if that is what's requested. So from that perspective, and as Simon said, there's more control over the condition of the card. So Starstock grades the cards as they come in. And in fact, just released a message that they're not going to accept anything less than a Starstock A. Uh, so you have to imagine that there's very few flaws, if any, in those cards that are coming in. And then ComC, if it's bad enough, will put a note when they load the card in. Uh, there's edgeware, soft corner, scratch on the surface. So, you know, as Simon said and as Jeff said, they are great places to flip and they are great places to get controlled, uh, you know, quality control. Now, the problem with ComC and Starstock, in my opinion, from buying to potentially get graded is the turnaround time. So I'm still waiting on a package from May to come in from ComC. They can't get uh, to the package quick enough to sell, send it to me so then I can send it to PSA and wait eight years to get it back. So the liquidity of Starstock and ComC to get it to you so you can get it graded is going to be an issue. Um, if I'm buying raw to get graded, I go eBay if the pictures aren't clear, I ask for more pictures. If there's any doubt, I just don't buy it. I wait. Um, the other thing to consider with Starstock is they don't have an individual picture for each card. So let's say that there's 50 Jason Tatum Prism base cards on there. There's one picture, and you can buy however many you want. So you actually can't guarantee – you can't actually see with your own eyes the card you're getting on Starstock. You can on Comsi, uh, you can on Starstock. So – for flipping and for holding and selling in the same form that you're getting it, I prefer ComC and Starstock because you're not paying a premium on those sites. Uh, Starstock, you will pay a small premium because it's a Starstock A. Um, but if I'm trying to buy it to actually grade it myself, I do find that I have more success on eBay. But as, as we've already touched on, you have to be very careful. Jeff, can you separate as far as Starstock and ComC, which you prefer? I guess it depends upon the case, I suppose. I mean, they're both great platforms. Starstock is trying to appeal a little bit more to kind of the flipping, you know, type uh, approach. Uh, for that reason, they've limited the number of cards that they will sell. So ComC or Starstock rather does not allow you to list every single set, every single variation. It's kind, it's a little more narrow to cards that have a bit, a bit more popularity and transaction volume. ComC I actually find to be kind of the opposite. ComC is actually a great place to go if you're a collector and if you're looking for, you know, kind of more unusual variations of a player who you might be collecting or if you're looking to complete a rainbow or something like that, you you find all kinds of interesting things on ComC. Yeah, Brennan was talking about the issue of not being able to see the card. And, Jeff, like, if you're just going to flip it anyway, like, the, the, the buyer is not going to be able to see the card anyway. Like, does it really matter what the card looks like? I know it's, it does matter, but if – if you don't care, if the next person that's going to buy it off you theoretically doesn't care, like we know it's there. We know it's in theory, it's got an A grade like you're talking about. Uh, how much does that matter having to see the card, which is a weird question to ask. It seems. Like. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're in the game of flipping and you're not going to try to like get the card graded, uh, then I agree with you. It actually, it, it really doesn't matter as long as you're keeping that card within the star stock ecosystem. If you're going to pull that card out of the ecosystem of star stock and then go try to, sell it somewhere else or, you know, get it graded, then obviously at that point the condition does start to make a really big difference. If I want to sell my cards, the best place to sell my cards is where? Or, again, is it also case dependent? Depending on what the card is, yada, yada. Yeah, it's definitely dependent on price is a big part of that. So I still think if you're trying to sell a high-end card, I still would favor eBay. Um, I personally like selling through a, uh, you know, a, a consigner on eBay. Uh, versus trying to sell it yourself, uh, unless you're really set up well with a really high eBay feedback rating and a good shipping system, I think you're better off sending it off to a consigner and letting them sell it on eBay for you. Um, you know, for cards, ComC is a great spot for cards that are maybe between like $3 and $25 and have a little bit of uniqueness to them, um, patch cards, uh, you know, different variations of cards that aren't like superstar, really high-end stuff. Um, that can be a really good thing for ComC. And then Starstock, if you're kind of in the flipping game and you want to, and you've got what I would consider to be kind of the, uh, the, the standard cards that people chase. You've got prisms, you've got optics, 
uh, you've got Tops or Tops Chrome, that type of thing, uh, then Starstock can be a really good source for you to sell those and then buy others. Yeah, it's an interesting point about like $3 cards because like who's going to want to pack up and go to the post office and the postage and all that for a $3 card doesn't want to make a lot of sense. So uh, that's where, at least in my brain, I'm, I'm an amateur when it comes to this, but just from hearing you guys talk, it makes a lot of sense uh, from a comp team perspective. Uh, Simon, g- give me your final thoughts on this. Maybe if you have any sort of warnings you want to throw out there, any sort of personal experience you may have had that was negative or positive. Actually, I, I got a question for uh, for Jeff as far as uh, consignment selling on, on eBay. At what price point would you start to consider a consignment seller if, if you were looking to uh, to not to, to ease up the process on eBay like that? I mean, definitely a hundred dollars and up, but I mean, I, I've, I've, I've sold some stuff, you know, through consign, consignment sellers as low as like 20 bucks. Um, what they, the way that they price it is they take a, a, a percentage dependent upon the sales price and for lower priced items, they take a bigger percentage. So you end up paying a little more, but it's still not a big percentage. I, you know, they end up getting, uh, special deals through eBay where they get lower eBay fees. So as a result of that, even if they mark that up and charge you, you're not paying that much more than you would pay on your own with standard eBay fees and PayPal fees, you know, because they're, because you're taking advantage of the discount that they get. So, um, I will often, you know, send a ship a box of cards that's got even, you know, $20 cards in it. But I, but I certainly think as you get to a hundred dollars on up, it starts to really make sense. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think uh, just just closing uh, closing my thoughts on it, I think you just got to be extra cautious when you're buying those raw cards on eBay. Like Brennan said, try to get as many images as you can of those cards. Make sure you're paying a lot of attention to those surfaces. Uh, the easy stuff to see is the corners and the edges and the centering, but it's the surface issues that kind of can sneak by, and and uh, you get a you get a unwanted surprise when you actually get the card in hand. So. Just be cautious when you're buying on eBay with those raw cards. Like with graded cards, like I find the process on eBay is 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 perfectly fine. You can try to get a value using market movers to try to figure out what the most recent sales are and try to get a discount on those most recent sales. And, and you get the card graded. If you get a PSA 10 or whatever, you don't have to worry about the condition of the card when you get it because you know it's it's – it is what it is. It is what's advertised. But uh, with those raw cards, you just got to be a little bit extra, extra careful when it comes to uh, buying on a platform like eBay. Yeah. Uh, Brennan, feel free to put a, a bow on this conversation. I also want to open up the NBA. Uh, when you guys are listening to this, most likely we'll be down to four teams, maybe five. We catch right away. Uh, game seven going down as we're recording this a couple hours afterwards or so, as far as Denver and the Clippers. Uh, Brennan, uh, speak to me as far as what's going on with the NBA, as far as the overall card market, because uh, we were talking about this pre-show. Apparently, there's been a bit of a, a market correction. Yeah. So to put just to put a quick bow on the, on the last topic, also read the description. I have made this mistake before. The pictures look good, and then in the description after I purchased it, it said small ding in right corner or something like that. But, of course, the person listed as like new anyway, so you can't always trust that. So just make sure you take in all the information you have in that listing before you make the purchase. Um, as far as the NBA is concerned, we're seeing quite the pullback, and, and Jeff covered this on one of his most recent videos. It's not just with the players that have been uh, kind of kicked out of the bubble so far. We're seeing dips on guys like Tatum, guys like LeBron, uh, Anthony Davis, who are still very much in the race for a ring and who are very much key pieces of their teams. And there could be uh, many reasons for this, probably the biggest being uh, you know, the attention is really shifted into football, which is taking money and, and time and attention away from basketball. And you're also seeing increased sales because people are trying to liquidate some of those positions they had for the playoffs. If you think about it, we've only got several teams left, and there's only so many games for you to sell a LeBron if you planned on selling in the playoffs or Bam Adebayo or Jason Tatum. So I think we're seeing a, a real natural and expected dip in the market. And, uh, you know, it might level out. After the finals, it might level out sometime in November, um, but there is potential for it to go up um, by the time of next season. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing, but I think on a previous show, you're actually saying, uh, you're suggesting that it's a good thing that the market, you, you don't want everything to keep on going up and going up and going up because like uh, that would give a false perception of the market. And you kind of, uh, you like the fact, I think, that, that the cards are going down. Is that, that sound about right, something you said? 
Yeah, yeah. It, it, I know everybody loves to throw around the buzzword bubble, and the reality is the farther and farther a rocket ship goes up, the harder and harder the pullback is. So the fact that the market is acting rationally right now I think is, is a good sign for the longevity of the hobby and also for people who are sitting on cash and can invest in some of these dips. You're getting guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo at really good discounts right now. So if you thought he was priced out two months ago, He's very much back inside your budget potentially, and these are the times to buy, not when he has gone up 150% in four months. So, yes, this is a very good sign um, of, of, of realistic, logical behavior in the market. It just so happens that the card market tends to move in multiples of what a traditional market like the stock market would. Jeff, is this a good buying opportunity, a good selling opportunity, or it's just like most things where it's case-dependent as far as NBA players, NBA cards? Well, first of all, nobody has a crystal ball, right? So I'm just going to give my opinion uh, based upon, you know, my impression of the market overall. My opinion is that we're entering a pretty good buying opportunity right now for basketball cards. Um, you know, we've seen the overall pullback that's taken place is that almost every modern basketball card, you know, all the stars that are currently playing today, almost every single one has gone down between about 15 and 40% uh, over the course of the last uh, 30 days. Some even slightly more. Giannis is down, I think, 46% over the course of the last uh, 30 days. But most are kind of in that 15 to 40% range. Even even LeBron's down, you know, over 20%. So in my opinion, uh, you know, we're, we're getting into a good buying opportunity. What I'm doing within my Market Movers data platform is I'm looking at the charts every single day to see when prices are starting to plateau. Because if you go back to what we saw when sports paused, which was the last time that we saw a dip in the basketball card market, that happened right after the NBA paused their season back in March due to COVID. And what happened, if you looked at the price pattern in the weeks following that, is that prices pretty steadily dropped. Day over day, they were dropping, they were dropping, they were dropping, and that continued for a couple of weeks. And then you hit a plateau where there were several days in a row where prices were essentially flat. There was very little up or down movement in prices. Then they started to climb again. And they started to slowly climb and slowly climb and slowly climb. And then eventually they really started to accelerate. And they remained accelerated all the way up until a few weeks ago when we've now seen another dip. So in my opinion, I don't believe this is the beginning of a bear market where like, okay, now we're just on the other side of this and everything is just going to continue to go down. I believe instead that this is just simply a market correction. I, I believe it's what's called a bear trap to use, uh, you know, kind of some technical market terminology uh, where we're seeing a correction, we're going to see a plateau, and then we're going to see a rise again. And so I'm watching those, those charts every single day to watch for the plateau points. And we're starting to see it with some of the players. Uh, so I think we're kind of, I think we're kind of about to hit that sweet spot. Yeah, there's some players we want to uh, isolate on. You kind of mentioned a couple of them as far as showing off their chart and what we expect going forward and what we've seen in recent uh, history as far as their cards. And yeah, it is sort of confusing. Le- LeBron's been going down and LeBron's been playing great and the Lakers have a really good shot, better shot than pretty much anybody. I suppose you can make the argument with the Clippers, but hey, by the time people see this, the Clippers might, they might be eliminated for all we know. Uh, and we were talking about that pre-show too, like just maybe, if the Clippers lose, the path is just a little bit clearer uh, for LeBron to win another title. But before we talk about those three players, Jeff, um, we have a Lillard, LeBron, Giannis, and Tedekupo we're going to talk about as far as using off that market movers tool. I'm curious your thoughts as far as what's going to happen, not knowing who wins the title, but like sort of the break until next season, which we think is going to happen sometime around Christmas. We don't really know. Everything is sort of fluid. Um, what do we think that the basketball car market's going to do from like that time period up to mid-December. Again, is that sort of what you're speaking on by now? And it's, by the time December rolls around, things should be potentially up again on, hey, season's back. Let's get excited. My guess would be that by the time the season starts again in December, basketball card prices will be above where they were at their peak three or four, three or four weeks ago. So okay. if you're able to buy right now at, a, at 15 to 40% or in Giannis's case, 45% below what that peak was, my guess is we're going to be back at that peak again when next season starts in December, maybe over that peak again. Uh, again, I, this is just a hunch. Uh, I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, but the, the reason why I think that is I think a lot of the underlying forces that have made sports cards increase in popularity and demand increase so much, they're still there. 
We've got new people getting into the hobby every single day. I know it's the case because they're signing up for my membership uh, on sportscardinvestor.com. They're reading the articles on sportscardinvestor.com. They're joining my Discord group, my Facebook group, all that kind of stuff. So I still see a pattern of people coming in each and every day. I, I'm not really seeing a slowdown at all in the number of people that are are jumping in. Like so I I think as a result of that, then you know, we're where the demand is still building and the supply is limited. And so the market forces are gonna are gonna continue to work in the favor. If now if I saw a total slowdown in the number of people jumping in, if I saw, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the the you know, there was no one signing up for the membership anymore, no one joining the Facebook group anymore, or something like that, then maybe I'd start to get worried. But I I don't think we're there at all. Brennan, are you similarly bullish? Yes, I, I for for all the same reasons I'm bullish on the market as Jeff Jeff just mentioned. I think the two things that are fighting against uh, the the hobby as a whole, and and particularly basketball in a minute, is the overall economy. Right? There's a lot of uncertainty uncertainty coming up as we move into to 2021. I mean, there's a lot, been a lot of stimulus that we've we've had go on here recently. Um, once all of that slows down, once people you know have to start paying rent again and student loans. We'll see how strong our economy really is. Again, we don't have a crystal ball. I don't think the hobby itself will be dragged down because, like Jeff said, the demand is still there. You're still seeing delays on ComC, Starstock, there's, uh, you know, PSA, BGS. So there's still demand for the hobby. I think the biggest fight ahead of us is if the economy in general um, goes down. And, and none of us know if that's going to happen. We just have to know it's a possibility. And then also lack of clarity around the NBA season particularly. Are we going to get an actual date to look forward to? Are they going to have a strong plan, uh, one that will work as well as the bubble did? Those are the biggest risks. I'm still betting on the side that, that we are going to see it plateau here soon and we'll be up by the end of next year. We just have to recognize that uh, some things are out of the hobby's control. And at the end of the day, if the decision is to put food on the table or pay rent, or buy cards. I mean, people are going to have to handle those other things first, but at this moment, the way I see it trending, I still think that the hobby is in good hands. And Hey, if that does happen and we go into a recession in 2021, I think this demand will be back at some point once the economy turns around. So as a five-year window and a 10-year window, I still think the hobby is in great hands. There just is a lot of uncertainty coming up. We have to recognize. All right, Jeff, we referenced the market movers tool. Let's go ahead and show it off as far as specific to certain players. I know we want to talk about Lillard, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo. The floor is yours. Who do you want to feature first? Yeah, so I got Lillard up here on the screen. I thought this was just an interesting one to show. This is a player who you would expect to go down, right, because he he had the absolutely incredible run in the in the bubble uh, and got his team, you know, into that eighth seed and then had some really strong, had a strong start against the Lakers, but then obviously they ran out of gas. So it's not surprising that he had such an incredible run up in prices while he was in the bubble. It's also not surprising that they've come down some since the bubble. They've come down hard. I mean, you can see from your screen that these were cards that were, you know, as at their peak, this was uh, over $3,000 for his 2012 Prism uh, base card in PSA 10, over $3,000. And this has come all the way down to $990. So this card has, has been sliced, you know, in price by, uh, you know, by more than what a 66% drop in price since, uh, since the bubble. Uh, but, you know, look at the pattern, right? Look at the pattern. So now we, I talked about when is the plateau going to hit and then when are you going to start to see things trend back up from the plateau point? Kind of an interesting pattern we're seeing there that, you know, maybe starts to indicate that on, a, you know, Lillard's cards might turn the corner a little bit. And then you go over and you look at Giannis and, and maybe a similar pattern is starting to emerge with Giannis. Now Giannis, similar type deal to Lillard where he, uh, he had a nice run up in prices before the bubble. He was strong in the bubble, but then his, his prices started to sag while he was still in the bubble. Because people started to become less optimistic about Milwaukee's chances as they started to show some holes. And then, of course, uh, you know, they get eliminated uh, and his his cards fall hard, right? So this was a card. This is his 2013 Prism base card in PSA 10. This was a card that reached a peak of $7,300, which that that number is is – crazy because these were cards that I was buying last year at the national for $500 a piece. 
exactly one year ago, I was buying these cards for $500 a piece at the national. And thankfully I bought a handful of them and now they're 73, they were $7,300 at their peak. Just shows you how wild the basketball card market had been over the last 12 months. Well, now they're back down, right? And now they're back down most recently to about $3,500. So these got cut in price by about half, you know, over the course of uh, the last few weeks. Uh, but you know, at 3,500 bucks, I like these cards. I mean, you know, I think, I think that, um, Giannis has a bright future ahead of him still. I know the Bucks kind of flamed out this year. Uh, but they're going to be really good again next year, and maybe Milwaukee will be able to put some people around them. They already stated they're willing to dip into the luxury tax if they need to do so. And if he can't get it done with Milwaukee next year, then maybe he's on a super team the year after somewhere. So I'm still big on Giannis, and I, I think that these cards are getting down to a value level, and we may be at a point of plateau. We'll see. Uh, and then finally, I wanted to call up LeBron. Now, LeBron has not had the same drop as those other guys uh, because he is still certainly still balling in the bubble. Um, and, you know, his cards overall are, are up, you know, quite a bit from where they were, uh, you know, certainly, you know, earlier in the year. But you can see there has been a little bit of a softening. Like this is his 2003 Tops PSA 10 card. And this was a card that peaked out around August the 13th. So exactly a month ago, this card peaked out right at $7,000. There were a few sales of it right at $7,000. And this one's bumped back down. This card right now is at $4,751 as of the most recent sales. So, you know, are we, is he plateauing at this point? It's a little hard to tell, but I, 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 I like the pattern. I like buying these cards at $4,700 a lot more than I like buying them at $7,000. But I also like the fact that these cards were $7,000 because that sets somewhat of a price, you know, a, a price. It's established that they can reach that point. So in my opinion, they can certainly reach that point again. Oh man, LeBron, what he's doing in year 17 is absolutely incredible. It just amazes me that he's just uh, still at the level he is at. Uh, yeah, he's the GOAT. I'll say it. I don't care. Yeah, I was going to say, don't at me. Tell me in the comment section. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, like and sub- subscribe to Appreciate that. Uh, hey, let me ask you this, sir, Jeff, because we speculated this on previous shows and I kind of threw it out there. If Giannis does leave, and I know he had a meeting with the owner, and the owner talked about extending, you know, maybe open up the, the, the pocketbook to some extent. But, you know, Milwaukee is Milwaukee, and there's a lot bigger cities in the NBA. I'm sure Milwaukee's perfectly fine. But um, if he does leave, and like you said, he's got one more year left, maybe they might feel like they're forced to sign and trade him, get something for him, extend him, sign him, trade him. Uh, who knows how that's going to go down. But my thought process is if he does leave, he's absolutely going to be in a better situation than where he's at currently in Milwaukee. If you take Giannis out that team, Middleton's a really solid player, sure, but like he's going to be on a better team than where he's currently at right now. Like if I'm going to bet the odds of if he's leaving, his chances of winning a title will only increase and he'll be in a bigger bigger market by default. Uh, so if you want to bet on that that, that scenario happening, I think that's a a likelihood. Uh, would you agree with that? Uh, I would hope so. Yeah, I think so. I doubt that he would extend in Milwaukee unless they actually make some substantial moves to put pieces around him. So I would, I would think so. Then again, I will say Bradley Beal shocked me, uh, when he extended in Washington with the tight, with the team that they have. And he, you know, he could have been a free agent this summer, yeah. but he's not because he extended. Now I think he only extended what, maybe a year or two. So it wasn't like a big, it wasn't a big extension, but you know, nonetheless, um, you know, so I don't know at the end of the day, I don't know what Giannis is going to do, but I'll tell you what, as a, you know, sports card investing is, you know, you're taking a risk. It's a little bit of a, a, I think it's a safer form of gambling than sports gambling by far. But nonetheless, there's a gamble involved in it. But if I'm going to gamble, I'm certainly going to gamble on the fact that Giannis is going to be in a good situation in the next few years, whether that's with Milwaukee and them adding a bunch of pieces or whether that's outside of Milwaukee, which, as you said, the moment he leaves Milwaukee, it's a likely upgrade wherever he goes. Uh, and I, I think that no matter what happens there, it's going to be great for his card prices. We're going to talk NFL in just a second, but we did want to touch on the, the soccer market. Uh, I know both uh, both Jeff and Brennan have been all over. Brennan, you kind of open it up because uh, that's another one where on previous shows you kind of sort of hinted at it, and like we talked about it you know, pre-show as well too, kind of trying to squeeze it in there. But the soccer market's been going nuts. We've also seen a correction there recently, uh, and the Premier League's just starting over there in Europe. So what's your general thoughts as far as the soccer market? Yeah, so I jumped into the soccer market with little to no knowledge of the players, the teams, and the market itself. 
Um, that's not always the smartest thing to do. I, I tried to do it responsibly with a very a fraction of what I had to invest in sports cards. And, and what I've learned is uh, there's not as many hard and fast rules in soccer as there are in basketball. So in basketball, you typically want to go prism and you typically want to go for the rookie card. But in soccer, you're not going to find a lot of cards that call out the rookie or for a guy like Polisic, you'll have a, their Donruss debut. So really you have to learn the sets, um, the World Cup prisms being the most sought after sets right now. Uh, but not all the players are in those sets. Obviously it's a World Cup prism and, and some of these younger players like a Jaden Sancho or a Mason Greenwood weren't on their national teams for the World Cup. And so when you start to dig in, you notice that it's a lot more nuanced. You have to do a lot more research. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, and, and I'll let Jeff talk about why he thinks the, the correction is happening. Cause I know he's really tuned into that stuff. Um, you know, I still think it's, it's an immature market relative to the other ones. And in my opinion, it's a great thing to try to diversify away from your main sport and also look to sell around some of the most hyped times in soccer. And so for me, I'm looking to sell a lot of these things, get them graded and sell them around the World Cup in 2022. So I don't mind dealing with some of this volatility now because I expect that for the world's most popular sport around uh, one of the most popular sporting events, the World Cup in 2022, there's going to be a lot of hype, which as we know, will drive prices. So I'm approaching it with caution. Uh, you know, I kind of threw myself to the wolves and, and I'm learning a lot, but I think it's a lot of fun. And I always thought soccer was boring to watch on TV. But if you watch some of the highlights of what these guys do on the field, it's quite, it's really quite incredible. So I'm actually enjoying soccer more than I thought I would. And I think that's very important when you m jump into any sport uh, that you actually enjoy the players and, and the sport itself. The, uh, the World Cup in 2022 is going to be in Qatar in the summertime, and it's going to be like 190 degrees in the field. Nothing shady there. <laughs> no shenanigans going on there, FIFA. Uh, Jeff, well, what's your general assessment as far as the, uh, the soccer market? Well, you know, the soccer – so two thoughts. First of all, the soccer market, actually, if you go back to the beginning of the year, it has been hotter than the basketball card market. It has been the most hot of all the sports card markets. Now, people don't notice it as much because there's, you know, there's not as many people collecting or investing soccer, and there's also not nearly as many cards. So the overall dollar impact is not as great. But from a percentage impact, its cards have increased the highest from a percentage gain standpoint. So – it was because of that, it was due for a correction, just like basketball cards were due for a correction. Soccer cards were due for a correction. So we're seeing a correction similar to what we're seeing in basketball. Um, but the second thing I will say is that the soccer card market, because there's so, so many less cards, I do think it's a little more susceptible to market manipulation. And I do think you have to be careful about that. You know, every sale on eBay counts more. It's more heavily weighted in the data because there are less sales overall. So when you look at the trend lines in a product like my Market Movers data platform, it's easier for people to say like, hey, we're going to go crazy buying, you know, a certain guy's soccer cards, and then all of a sudden his trend line shoots way up, and everybody sees that. And then everyone else is like, oh, we got to go get that guy's cards too. Uh, and you got to be a little more careful about that in soccer. That's harder to do in the other sports because there's such a larger sales volume of cards that it would be it would be very difficult for any one person to you know manipulate a large swath of the market, but it's it's certainly a little more possible in soccer. So be careful. Uh, but that said, I do think um, I do think there's still a lot of interest in soccer cards, and much like basketball, I do think while we're going through a correction uh, period, there is likely a, a bright future ahead for soccer cards. Yeah, one word you said that was pretty interesting. You said international and like. Theoretically, the market is huge because like soccer is obviously the world's most popular game. And you know, we're going to talk football in a second. Football is heavily concentrated, you know, North America, basically, as far as potential buyers. Uh, basketball is more international as well, too. But I don't know, just sort of a thought to kind of pop in my head. Like in theory, you'd think there's a bigger potential, uh, customer base for soccer. If people sort of get into it. But all right. The NFL is back. Uh, Simon, we're going to bring you back as far as the NFL. Let's talk some, uh, week one. Uh, how did, how did the cards react? Uh, in real time, as far as how the games are being played. Uh, is there anything you notice out there? And, of course, we're going to show off the market movers tool in a second again uh, on some specific players. But, uh, Simon, your assessment as far as the card market in week one. Um, I think it was uh, – it, re it reacted relatively stable. I know there was a lot of trading going on during the games, like some of the earlier games where – uh, a guy would have a, a outstanding performance and, and 
all of a sudden there would be a spike in volume in his cards and whatnot. But some of the guys that had not so great performances like Dak and, and Deshaun Watson and Baker uh, Mayfield, I was just looking at their charts and, and they don't seem like they've had too, too much of a negative reaction yet. So I think there's an understanding among people buying these cards that the week one, you know, they're coming off of a, uh, hardly any training camp. They had no preseason games or anything like that. So I, I think there's a little bit of understanding that these guys weren't going to come out of the, uh, come straight out slinging and, and, and having crazy performances or anything. So it'll be interesting to see how the prices react when people have a chance to digest. Good thing between NFL games, there's a week between games. So there's plenty of time to uh, digest a player's performance and, and for the card market to react to that. But so far, it doesn't seem, at least from the downside, that people are, are overreacting to anything just yet. Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 the swings haven't been crazy. You do see some swings. I mean, I just on the screen here, I just brought up Josh Jacobs' 2019 Prism Football uh, base card raw condition. This is his rookie card. And, you know, obviously Josh Jacobs is a guy who had a, an awesome first game, three touchdowns, uh, you know, looked really good for Las Vegas Raiders. Las, I got to get used to saying Las Vegas Raiders. And you can see, you know, there's a little spike, right? I mean, these cards were, you know, these cards were down in the 20, 20 to $30 range uh, prior to that game. And then they, they got on up there to mid-30s, uh, kind of came back down a little bit uh, since then. But an overall, a, a little bit of a spike. I mean, we saw something similar if you look at like a Gardner Minshew uh, before his games were uh, being played, this is his rookie card in PSA 10 from Prism. Uh, you know, the couple couple of uh, days right before the NFL weekend started, these cards are around $171, $179, $167, and then most recently they're $209, right? So we saw a little bit of an increase there, nothing crazy, but they did definitely go up a little bit. Um, and if we look at Kyler Murray, he's another one. Who again, you know, not, nothing crazy, but like if you look at where they were just a couple of days before the season started to then kind of where they've been the last couple of days, you know, they're up a little bit as well. So, you know, these guys who had the good week one performances, they're ticking up. Um, and it will be obviously if they can continue to sustain this, if Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray's a good one, for example, if he is able to come out and you know, have a week two and a week three performance similar to his week one performance. And if the Cardinals can actually keep on winning, then watch out, you know, watch out for the card prices of, of Kyler Murray. Uh, but, you know, that's a big if. I, I, are, are the Cardinals actually going to be able to do that? And will Kyler continue to be able to keep that up? Who knows? Well, one of the guys that might have a lot of influence on that, I'm not sure if you can pull it up on the fly, but DeAndre Hopkins. And I know a lot of the DFS guys, a lot of the season long guys who talked about, well, there's, the COVID and continuity is a big thing and not many practices. So, and also the target shares are going to go down for Hopkins because of where, you know, how he was uh, elevated on Houston and Arizona, you know, there's only one ball. There's more potential options, but he went absolutely nuts the first week. Uh, and I'm saying yeah. a lot of words to hopefully buy you some time to pull up DeAndre Hopkins. And, you know, he was fantastic. And there he's kind of married to Murray. And if Murray goes up, Hopkins is probably going to go up and vice versa, assuming they're both healthy. So uh, any, any thoughts as far as or what, what are we seeing? Anything interesting as far as Hopkins cards? Well, here's one of the crazy things about football cards. As you turn back in time, and this is true with basketball as well, but it's particularly true with football. As you turn back in time to like the year 2013, which was DeAndre Hopkins' rookie year, there were so few cards made that year. The interest in football cards was so low that there is only in the in the entire existence his two main rookie cards his prism rookie card there's only 36 of those in existence in the world in PSA wow. 10 and his tops chrome rookie card there's only 68 of those in existence in PSA 10 so these are low population cards so it's unfortunately with a guy like DeAndre Hopkins it's difficult to actually get any type of trend line because in his case there's only been one card sold since the weekend's games, right? So it's, it's, um, there's just not that many of them out there. Now you could look at his raw cards and you could look at other sets that he was in in 2013 as well, but still the totality of it is, is not a lot. So the market can't react as well to a guy like DeAndre Hopkins simply because there's not much supply available for the market to react with. Yeah, so if like three of 36 cards get sold, it, that could totally skew the market because that's basically 10%. And- 
the numbers are, but I guess it speaks to supply and demand. Are those cards really expensive? I assume because the demand is the supply is so low. I mean, it you know that's all relative, right? I mean, they like his tops. His prism card is five hundred and ten dollars, which which is actually a fair amount for a football card. Sure, I mean, you know, for a wide receiver football card, that's that's a pretty good amount of money, five hundred and ten dollars. I mean, to compare it comparatively. Right now, you got Drew Locke's rookie card right around that same $500 or so price point. Uh, Daniel Jones is right around that same price point. I think Sam Darnold's right around that same price point. So you see, you know, you don't see it as much with the receivers. You see it with the quarterbacks a little more. So, I mean, that's a fairly high price card, but I mean, you know, relative to what? There's only 36 of them in the world. If there were 36 you know, any basketball player, you know, like even a, even a second tier, like a CJ McCollum, if there were only 36 CJ McCollum cars in the world, that'd be way more than $510, you know? So it's, it's, you know, relative to, I guess it's all relative, right? Yeah. I'm just trying to wrap my brain around that concept. And I've learned this doing the show, something I didn't know, uh, how much more quarterbacks are elevated uh, versus, you know, the skill position players, uh, the, the receivers and the running backs. And, Nothing really speaks to that more than when you're telling me DeAndre Hopkins is the same price as Sam Darnold and Drew Locke. And like, come on, man. Like, I understand that those guys are younger, but like, well, Hopkins is a stud. And those guys, who knows? We don't know where they're going to be. And, but I guess that's the market is the market. And that's that. Like, you're, you're well, and and not only that, but right now with Drew, with Daniel Jones and Drew Locke and Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield, all guys who are right around the same price point, they have, they're currently about 20 to 30 times the supply of cards on the market of their cards compared to DeAndre Hopkins cards. If you're looking at their PSA 10 rookie cards. So um, it's, so, so, I mean, it, relative to scarcity, what I'm actually telling you is that the quarterbacks like a Drew Locke or a Sam Darnold are, you know, many, many multiples more valuable than a DeAndre Hopkins. It just so happens that there's so many more of them that it, it brings the prices down somewhat. But even with the prices deflated, because there's so many more of those quarterbacks cards, they're still the same price point as uh, DeAndre Hopkins' card. Is that something you think might change the next so many years, or just that's it is what it is, and that's just the way the market is? And that's because again, from an outsider perspective, and I'm a new guy. I'm somebody I used to collect years ago. Now I'm kind of new getting into it. It doesn't make sense. But if everybody believes that, then I just have to accept that that's that's what it is. Well, it's a little bit. So it's I, I would say two things. There we did see a shift this summer where there was more interest in wide receiver and running back cards than ever before. So a lot of the summer price gainers were wide receivers and running backs. That was unusual. However, on the flip side, it's still so heavily quarterback dominated. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, like, you know, as a kid, did you want to, did you want to, do you want to grow up to be Peyton Manning or Drew Brees or, or Tom Brady? Or do you want to grow up and be DeAndre Hopkins? Like it's, you know, you don't really think of the, of the wide receiver necessarily as the player who all the kids on the sand lot are, are thinking about wanting to be like, I think, I think most of the kids who are playing, you know, sand lot football are thinking about Lamar Jackson. They're not thinking about Deandre Hopkins. So I, at the end of the day, I think it's that. Yeah. My rebut is I'd rather be Deandre Hopkins and Sam Darnold, but I totally understand That's what you're true. saying. <laughs> uh, all right. So you talk about some guys that we kind of, it was hinted at before. Uh, some players that underperformed that we may be able to take advantage of. Uh, we like them coming into the season. Like Dak, not all of a sudden is terrible. Uh, you know, one, you know, not he wasn't horrendous, but of course Dallas didn't win. Uh, what do you have for us as far as uh, the adjustment in those cards based upon the reaction of Week One, starting with Dak Prescott? Well, Dak has actually been his cards have been going up so much. Uh, we actually haven't seen much of it, much of a a dip, you know, from the week one performance in Dak. One interesting thing about the sports card market in general is when a player's performance is poor, it generally reacts there. The, the dip is more slow. When a player's performance is good, the escalation is, is much more quick. And here's the reason why if a player's performance is poor, it's not like all of the people selling their cars on eBay that night are all of a sudden dropping the prices down. What has to take place is interest in buying that player's cards has to completely dry up. And then the sellers on eBay are like, oh, darn it, I really need to get out from under these cards and no one's making offers on them anymore. It's time for me to draw my price. So it's this slow kind of downward pattern when a player is performing poorly. 
Whereas when a player does well, it's a much quicker spike. These people are going out and buying the cards right away, right? So you're not going to see, if you look like at a Dak Prescott, you're really not going to see like this immediate reaction from the market. And all of a sudden his prices are, are in the tank, you know, the following day. Simon, I'm going to ask you in a second. I'm curious, you know, your take as far as, uh, you know, going forward, do you want you want Dak, do you want Watson, do you want uh, Baker Mayfield, all three quarterbacks kind of scuffle to various degrees week one. But I have one more question for you, Jeff, because uh, looking ahead, looking forward, and we do this in DFS, Daily Fantasy, of course, Rotor Grinders, we specialize in that. Now we're talking about sports cards too. But And also like season-long fantasy guys will look at it and say, well, look at this quarterback. He's got this easy matchup in week two and this easy matchup in week three and this one in week four, and he's coming off a bad matchup. Now you can buy the, the the quarterback on the low, and you can speculate he's got three matchups which he should shine in. Like, is that something that people in the sports card market are doing, or are they just reacting to, oh, look, they just crushed this team? Well, that's a great point, and honestly, I think that's where there is value to be had. Um, oftentimes, people in the sports card market react. It's a very reactionary market. Savvy investors project. They forecast, right? And so that's the type of forecasting that you could absolutely do. You could look forward at a player's schedule and go, huh, you know, this guy could end up having a pretty good next four weeks here. Uh, what's the, you know, what could that mean in terms of his car prices? That type of forecasting is, is smart. All right, Simon, uh, who am I investing in? You got to pick one or you can rank them however you want to do it. Uh, I'm not sure if you're doing a screen share as far as uh, using the Mark Movers tool. I don't recall who is doing this or if we had that available, but we want to talk about Dak Prescott, uh, Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield. What do you like going forward, Simon? Um, I, I still like holding on to your DAC and, and Watson cards for sure. But I think uh, I think if you have an opportunity to to buy some of those Baker rookie cards, I might take those because, like Jeff was saying, you want to forecast what the what's going to happen for the next few weeks of the season or the remainder of the season. And the Browns have a super easy schedule this year. They got off uh, to a to a bad start, starting against Baltimore. But like they couldn't have, I mean, there's there's not many worse teams uh, that you can face defense wise than Baltimore. I mean, and, and I mean worse as in like the matchup doesn't favor you. So I think to start off against Baltimore is a tough start, especially coming off of last season where they had one of the most difficult schedules in the NFL. So I think that. It's, should have pretty easy coast for the remainder of most of the remainder of the season. So I would be looking at those Dak press. I mean, sorry, uh, the Baker Mayfield cards. I, I noticed in the chart, they seem like they've been plateauing for, uh, for a little bit. So I think that's a, a good, a good opportunity to start getting in on those cards. And I would just say on the wide receivers and, and skill position players, Keep uh, keep an eye on those cards because, like we were looking at with Hopkins, like there's not a lot of uh, those those rookie cards in PSA 10 out there. So scoop them up if you can, hold on to them. Like I said, is it's a ridiculous to to think that uh, Hopkins cards are going for the same price as a as a Drew Locke or something <laughs> like that. Like to me, that's asinine. But uh, you know, that's that's the tr- current trend in the market. So you want to get ahead of the next trend in the market which I think would be people targeting those skill position players. The market changes all the time because, look, Dean, when you and I were collecting back in the in the early 90s, it was baseball or bust. There was, like, basketball was a little bit popular. Football cards weren't all, all that popular. But the market has completely shifted now where NBA is the most popular cards and, and NFL – and, uh, and, and baseball are pretty, pretty close if NFL's not, not ahead of baseball. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just, just try to stay ahead of these trends and, and take a, take a risk. You know, if your gut tells you that Hopkins should be worth more than Drew Locke, then trust your gut, you know, go, go with it and see what happens. Uh, Jeff, your final thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I mean, gosh, between these three guys, it's hard to know. I would have told you Deshaun Watson. Uh, prior to the season starting, because I just think Deshaun Watson is such a, a talent and uh, his his cards are really cheap compared to, you know, someone like Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes. Granted, I understand those guys are, are more accomplished, but Deshaun Watson has that caliber of talent, yet his cards are an absolute fraction of the price. So I would have told you Deshaun Watson, but you really have to question the pieces that he has around him and how good the Texans can be. And that was not an impressive opening performance against the Chiefs. So 
you know, obviously when it comes to a player in the NFL, a quarterback, I mean, it's partially their own skill, but it's also partially the pieces around them too. Um, you know, Dak Prescott, uh, he's had a really high escalation in price, and I do have the three guys up on the graph now. Deshaun Watson is the pink line in the middle. Dak Prescott is the yellow line, which actually at the start of the graph 90 days ago was less than Deshaun Watson, but has accelerated now way above Deshaun Watson in terms of his prices. And then Baker Mayfield's the flat line at the bottom. Um, I mean, for me, it really comes down to which one of these three guys is going to have the best chance of doing something special this season and putting his team in a position to potentially win a trophy because that's always going to be good for a player's card prices. And, I mean, of the three, despite the week one loss, I think you would probably have to go with Dak Prescott. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you. I think it's the best long-term prospects. I think I have Mayfield third, for the record. Uh, and also rumors out there today. I guess it was Mike Francesa who started the rumors, so take that with the old grain of salt. But uh, Beckham supposedly uh, already on the trade market. Who really knows how that's going to go down? Uh, in theory, that probably would not help up Mayfield. Who knows who's going back? But, again, that's probably not happening anyway. Uh, that is the show. We do appreciate you guys watching. We do ask that you like. We do ask you subscribe. Uh, leave some comments in the, in the comment section. Have at it. It's good times. Uh, also, before we step aside, as always, we have our mail day. When we're doing our mail day, you're going to show off the card. You know, tell us what card you're showing off to the people and uh, get your socials out there. Tell them where they can find you. Lastly, SCI, sportscardinvestor.com. Get 20% off your first payment using the promo code grinders. Brennan, give us your socials. Give us your mail day card. Give us everything. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So the card that I'm showing today is actually my first PSA submission that has come back. So, uh, I would say, uh, six months ago, I bought a Prism John Morant photo variation, uh, for about 120 and it came back at 10. So that was a nice, uh, grab for me. Um, you're always looking for cards to grade out as tens. And, and so that was really nice to have. And, and that's a little tidbit. I think that not a lot of people have, have paid attention to the photo variations in any set mosaic or Prism or the two that I know of that have them. Are, they're much more rare than the base card, and so even as a base parallel, uh, I think they're they're valuable cards to grab. I don't think the market is caught up yet. Um, but you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the DFS Advisor, and uh, I'm going to try to jump into the Discord as well, the Roto Grinders Discord, to talk sports cards a little bit more uh, as things kind of calm down on my side. Yep, Discord channel is free to join. Check out the site for that. Uh, Jeff, you're up next. Yeah, well, my mail day card is uh, actually a card that literally came in the mail today, and that's a Pascal Siakam uh, Silver Prism rookie card. Uh, much like the graphs of some of these guys that I showed you, Siakam's prices have absolutely fallen hard, uh, and they started falling. They were falling hard even as they were, uh, even as the Raptors were battling Boston. You know, I think mainly because Siakam didn't have a particularly good series. Uh, so his prices have been falling hard. His prices are down 75%. I bought the card 75% off of the price of where it was about 30, 45 days ago. Um, and so for me, Siakam's a good player. Port, or, you know, Toronto's relevant, uh, and it's probably going to be relevant for some time to come. So for me, it was, it was a good pickup at that price point. Um, and then, uh, in terms of getting in touch, sportscardinvestor.com. You can find out everything there, and again, promo code GRINDERS for 20% off, and from there you can also link to our YouTube uh, and all of our social channels. Wow, that's really wild, Siakam dropping that much. I'm, I'm a Siakam truther as well, but uh, and he was not good by his standards in the, in overall in the entirety of the bubble. But uh, all right, uh, that's the top for the other day, I suppose, but I, I like buying him at the floor, and I, I appreciate I, I like that as a long-term investment as well. Uh, Simon, close us out. Yeah, the cards, uh, well, first of all, you can find me on Twitter at Yeti Boom Films or in the RG Discord channel if you go into the, uh, the sports card, um, channel in there. As far as cards, I have recently been buying these Miles Boykin cards. Uh, I'm just, I, right now, I, I, I just, uh, got in the mail my Miles Boykin Origins card and my Miles Boykin RPA Select card. Uh, I really like these select cards. I have a Zion one uh, similar to that one. I don't like that the uh, autograph is not on card, but the Origins auto is on card. And these I bought for both under $10. Miles Boykin uh, is a receiver that I think could have a decent year this year. I feel like Baltimore is going to have to throw more this year as teams start to figure out their, uh, their run-heavy offense. And I think 
in order for Lamar Jackson to evolve, he's going to start to need to uh, to pass more and become more uh, a more efficient passer. And I think Miles Boykin's a guy that can benefit from that. They have Hollywood Brown and they have uh, Mark Andrews currently as their as their main as their main receivers, but they're going to need to add someone else in that into that mix. And I think Miles Boykin over over Willie Sneed. Uh, w- would make a lot of sense, and I think Miles Boykin could uh, could have a potential breakout season. There you have it. That's the show. Much appreciate you guys watching. Again, one last time, feel free to like and subscribe. Use that promo code uh, for SCI. 20% off your first payment over there. G-R-I-N-D-E-R-S. That's Grinders. For Brennan, for Jeff, for Simon, I was Dean. Thanks for watching. We're out of here. Holler. <laughs>